Hello, and welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast, where I'm your host, Madeline Messer, and we're talking today with Keith Jackson, Bob Barnes, and Linda Duffy about the history of Pencater 100. To all of you, thank you for coming on to the podcast, and I was hoping we could start with the simple question, what are the bounds of Pencater 100? From the Delaware-Maryland state line east to about half the state in a very jagged line. Right. And could you guys talk a little bit about what gives uh, the Pencater Heritage Museum its name and what you cover in that museum? The name came from our founder, who was Senator Steve Amick. Uh, he started the organization, and we have continued on and further advanced what was originally done. Pencater is the hundred in which Steve Amick was representative and senator. What sort of heritage and content do you cover in the museum? Our curator, Linda, can answer that. Well, pretty much anything that um, has to do with Pencater um, hundred, and that's how the collection started with collecting research materials um, going back, what, 15 years. Uh, so that research material is there. And as time went on, people started to donate artifacts and uh, different items uh, to the museum, and it just grew from there. So our favorite things, of course, are things that belong to Pencater residents. Um, we try to preserve their histories, histories of local farms, mills, businesses, um, the cultures, starting with Native Americans, clear up to everybody, all the Europeans that came into the area. Um, we have, we are right on the battlefield. We interpret the battle. Of course, um, actual artifacts from the battle are very hard to come by. So we do that with a combination of oral histories and maps and things of that nature. Um, and we try to have something for everybody. We're in a very small area um, and we're tightly packed but we try to put what we have out so everybody can have an interest in something. We have um, everything from housewares to maps, um, Native American articles. We have a large, what would be considered for the size of our museum, a significant military collection. Um, because we are on a battlefield, we host many, uh, several events in a normal year. This, of course, last year was not a normal year. Um, and so we have military artifacts, some of which belong to members' families, so or visitors' families, not members particularly. But um, uh, we get a lot of veterans in there. We do get a lot of people um, of a certain age, but we also get children um, and young people. And so they're interested in the Native American artifacts. Um, and everybody has a different interest. We very seldom find anybody that doesn't find something they stop and read. We try to label everything so that the experience um, is at your own speed. You can, uh, you can stop and ask questions. Um, if you want to, we can take you around and show you everything. That's completely up to the visitor. Um, but uh, we really do. We start with the oldest thing we have is 1646, which is a document signed by Queen Christina of Sweden. Um, many landmarks are named after her in the area. Um, and then we go clear up to uh, a small display on changing technology, which interests children. Um, 
dial telephones, tape recorders they've never seen. We have a jukebox from 1960. People love that, which stands right next to a 18... Uh, 80s ornate wooden piler ornament uh, organ. So uh, it shows the difference in, in what has happened. We have uh, uh, occasionally we have temporary displays when we ever get to be open again, which we hope will be this spring. We have two that de- deal with women because we will miss Women's History Month, but we like to represent them. We have a small display of 1880s uh, women's clothing, which are quite rare and beautiful. Um, and then we also have uh, United States Cadet Nurse Corps uniforms, which was uh, from World War II. And I think that's very uh, important now when we see the role of nurses and what they pl- played in the uh, current pandemic. So if there's anything special people want to see, we c- can always get it out if it's put away. You know, documents and things of that nature. We can't have all the books and everything on display all the time. And what did I forget, guys? We have a lot of nice old maps in there. Uh, I was in the military, so I like a lot of the military items. Uh, the C&D Canal, the Newcastle and Frenchtown Railroad. We have some artifacts in there that it's hard to believe they have survived being made out of metal. But... Uh, Anybody that comes in there usually finds something of interest to them. How about you, Keith? Bob, did you want to talk about the uh, printing press? Uh, we have a uh, an old printing press and proof press in there for uh, making prints the way that it was done with handset type. I like doing that. Linda has made a number of uh, block print uh, impressions that can be seen. How about you, Keith? When they did the old printing with uh, a letterpress, you would have a a uh, block print with something carved on it or words or whatever. That would be put on a uh, a platform, ink would be put on it, paper would be set over top of it, and then a roller go over it, and it makes the impression that was there. They, when you see the old newspapers of 100 years ago, all of those pictures in there were made from block prints. Were all pictures done like that? You had to draw them and then block press, print them? Yes, they were actually carved. That's wonderful. And I wanted to ask specifically about the diet room and what might be in that. Well, in the very beginning, the rooms were labeled and we had a cooch room, a diet room. You know, we labeled them all. Um, But that was because it was small. Um, Right now, there's things from the diet mills, which are quite uh, wonderful. Um, A couple of measuring instruments that you don't see every day, beautifully done Uh, scientific instruments for measuring grain. And then we have uh, photographs of taken inside the mill when it was still in private hands that show the beautiful um, machinery that's in there. Again, something that isn't seen every day. And they are beautiful close-up pictures. And most of those things are now on the second floor of the mill and um, at the present time can't be seen. 
but in that room are also the history of the C&D Canal, the Frenchtown Railroad, the local Presbyterian Church, which played a big part in um, the area history, um, the early schools, uh, and local maps, which people, again, most of these things are close enough that people can see them and appreciate them. And if your map's not there, Bob will find it for you. Um, so all of that's in one room. Um, and we also have another room full of maps. People like to come in and find out where they live now. So on a map that's maybe 100, 150 years old. So that's always fun. I have one. <laughs> um, you never know what's going to walk through the front door. You know, just to, again, we're very, very, we're tightly packed. When we get a new acquisition, we have to make room for it. Um, so just as we have everything set up, somebody comes through with a new donation. Um, and that was the case when we were setting up our World War I display and a lovely elderly gentleman in his 90s came in and gave us a beautiful picture of a World War I um, ancestor who had been killed in the war. And um, he was a local boy. He was 18 years old when he lost his life. And that's another one of our star possessions. And that's the, that's the nice part about the museum. It helps to preserve individual family histories and stories, even legends. So um, we wish we even had a bigger place, but we, we have what we have. So we, it, um, we always make room. That's very cool. But how many visitors do you guys get on an average day? Well, we're open the first, and again, we're a volunteer organization. Um, so we're open at limited hours. We're open normally on the first and third Saturday of every month. And we're open on Wednesdays from 12 to 4. Um, on, Saturday, on the first and third Saturdays, we're open 10 to 4, a little bit longer. We're also open with advance notice for groups because we have to get the volunteers in order that would be needed for that. Absolutely. And this is a question for everybody. What are some of your favorite parts of the museum? That's a hard one for me. <laughs> As you might expect, um, a lot of the things come in, they're not in the best of condition. Um, so, and that's part of their history. So you, you tend as you um, conserve these things to get very attached to them, um, such as the case with a beautiful old studio camera that we have there from the, the um, early 1900s. And um, it's a gorgeous thing now, but it nearly went into the dumpster. Uh, we have a lot of dumpster stories, <laughs> things that were saved just in the nick of time. Um, the proof press is one that needed to be um, restored. And um, I guess my favorite thing is um, the 35 star flag that we have uh, with the admission of West Virginia into the Union right during the middle of the Civil War. The 35 star flag became the national flag on July the 4th, 1863, which was one day after the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, and that stayed there until, that stayed the national flag, excuse me, until the 36 star flag, which was just at the end of the war. So it's truly um, the Civil War flag, the, 
there were flags flown before that that had less stars, but this one flew with 35 stars and it had to be preserved. And um, Bob built a special frame for it, conserved behind that. And it's close enough that people can, it's, it's quite large and um, people can get close enough to it to see the hand stitching, each star sewn on by hand, every stripe is sewn on by hand. And um, it's, it's, it's really, it's impressive um, to stand there in front of that, particularly on July 4th. So you can't miss it if you come in the museum. And of course, I like the, I like anything that has to do with women's history. So we have a little of that there as well. So Keith, what was your, what's your favorite part of the museum or favorite artifact? I don't know that I have a favorite part. A lot of what I tend to talk about is the, the Battle of Cooch's Bridge itself. Um, also the C&D Canal on the Newcastle Frenchtown Railroad. A lot of people don't realize um, how significant the canal and the railroad were. Um, and, and, and the canal still is. Uh, it's one of the busiest canals in the world. A lot of people don't realize how old it is. It was hand dug in 1830. Um, actually, I'm sorry, 1826. Um, the Newcastle Frenchtown Railroad was the first railroad in Delaware. It's the third railroad built in the nation, and not enough people know about it. Um, I can make a fairly strong argument for it being one of the most significant early railroads, um, mostly because there were so many mistakes made because it was so early in the technology that uh, they came up with a lot of solutions that allowed other railroads to prosper. But uh, there, there's a lot of neat history behind the Mason-Dixon line. Um, which there's a lot of stones and throughout Pencater Hundred related to that, um, and through the course of the, the presentations that I would do, do normally, uh, there's a special one that's always done around Halloween. It's always fun talking about uh, the, the ghosts and potential paranormal activity in certain areas. Um, which between the the battle and a lot of people don't realize, Lum's Pond was actually part of the Underground Railroad. Um, is arguably one of the more haunted places in the world. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the local history here is absolutely amazing, and there's a lot of it. Did not know that at all. So you both mentioned the CND Canal. What does CND stand for? It's the Chesapeake and Delaware Canal. For people going from Philadelphia by ship, they would have to go down and all the way around the peninsula, which was well over 100 miles. They built a canal and cut that distance off uh, considerably. So they could go down the Delaware River, across the canal, and into the Chesapeake, and then down to Baltimore, Washington. Mainly the canal was used for merchandise transporting merchandise. The railroad also transported merchandise, but mainly had passengers. So they would come down the Delaware River to Newcastle by boat. In Newcastle, they would get on a train and go across to, across to Frenchtown and then get on a boat there and go down uh, the Chesapeake. 
one of the misconceptions about the Newcastle Frenchtown Railroad's demise because it was it was the the first first railroad built in Delaware, third railroad built in the nation, and also the first railroad to be abandoned. Um, barely lasted uh, twenty years. Um, is a lot of people think the canal put it out of business, which is not what happened. Actually, the Philadelphia Wilmington Baltimore Railroad put them out of business because that created a, a direct land route from Philadelphia to Baltimore, and then you no longer had to get on a boat twice to get to where you needed to go. You almost have to see it to really grasp the the effort that would have gone into it. It's it's actually very impressive. Wonderful. Are there any other significant develops like developments like that that have taken place in Pencator Hundred? Historically, those are two big ones. Um, at the time the canal was uh, dug, and that was again eighteen twenty six. Um, that was the single largest construction project in the state, um, as far as cost as well as manpower. Um, the Newcastle Frenchtown Railroad, which was built in uh, about 1830, was the second largest. Beyond that, uh, a lot of Pencator 100 was uh, agricultural. It was very rural. Um, and different aspects uh, w- within Pencator 100, uh, despite plans, just never took off the way they were imagined. Um, Glasgow, as an example, was one of the very early uh, planned villages. It was a, a single street village that actually they, they planned on it becoming something. And because of it, mostly economics, it just never amounted to much. Um, you compare that to, say, Newark, which was essentially a crossroads, um, you know, turned into this whole city and you got the UAD and, and everything else. So it's, uh, it's interesting how sometimes things work out. Yeah, especially considering both the canal and the railroad um, passed through, you would think that commerce would offer a more flourishing city life. Yeah, well, and that actually, in in some regards, hurt the area, um, the more immediate area, like Glasgow. Glasgow was the center of Pencator Hundred. It was more or less the the capital of in the envisioned capital of Pencator Hundred, um, and it was it, a lot of commerce. Commerce went through there. And when the railroad and the canal came through, there wasn't the need for people to stop by as much. And so there was a, a, a lot of that got bypassed. And then things, you know, continued to grow and expand, but at a much slower rate at that point up until uh, the 1960s. And you have Route 40, which was a, a main thoroughfare. And you had a lot of uh, roadside motels and things like that, a lot of restaurants. And then when I-95 went in, that bypassed Route 40. So that, that kind of hurt them as well. Can we talk a little bit about present day Pencator 100 and what exists now? Just in terms of, is it still primarily agricultural? Uh... A lot of it is sprawling suburbia. Um, right now, between from, from the intersection of 896 and 40, over heading south to the canal, and from 896 and 40 heading west to the Maryland line is the second uh, most active construction areas in Newcastle County. Um, Middletown's still number one. 
Um, but the, the few open fields and open spaces that are left in a, a matter of short years are, are all going to be developed. Most of it's residential now, um, or that's what's being planned. But there's a, a large mix of, of commercial, retail, and residential that have taken over a lot of it. Pencater 100 does not encompass a city or a town per se other than Glasgow. It does touch part of Newark, but a very small part of it. So most of it was farming, and now it's residential and commercial. So as a museum that seeks to preserve this heritage, what will you do as there are no more historical sites being developed? That is a big challenge and, and something that's ongoing. Um, correct me, Bob, I think we have 35 currently uh, public educational signs located on uh, our, the Mills grounds where our museum is, as well as Iron Hill and Glasgow Park. Um, we do public events. I do public presentations talking about a lot of different things. Um, the one of the challenges is, is that so much of our historical physical features here. Um, the silver lining is we have so few left that we're hoping it's going to be a lot easier to preserve some of them. Um, but even even as we speak, more most recently there was a historic review board um, meeting with Newcastle County. They're building uh, some warehouses on one of the probably the largest remaining open spaces of the battlefield from the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. And it's one of those areas, it's something you have to walk a delicate line because as important as it is to preserve that history, it's owned privately. Um, so they have rights and, and we understand that. And, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't want to become adversarial. We'd rather educate them and, and, and the public and, and try to promote preservation as much as we can. Um, but throughout the last, especially 50 years, so much has grown up. Um, and I'll just use the battlefield again as a, an example. Uh, that battlefield covered about six square miles. And over that six square miles, you've got development, multiple developments, multiple retail centers, um, commercial complexes, things like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was just done out of ignorance, not a lack of, of interest, because um, people at the time just were not aware that the battlefield was that expansive or that how significant the battle was. Even though we may not have physical ground, we are still here to educate people about the area uh, and what artifacts we have in the museum. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you all for being on the podcast. And if you would like to visit our museum, because we've talked about it, but there, there really isn't another one in the area like it. Um, it's amazing. Uh, if you have any interest, let, let us know when you